how to make VXLAN network design simple, scalable, and uncomplicated with Lucas Trediger, episode 91. This is a 100% technical show. We are diving into the weeds on VXLAN and what the critical network design decisions are around that protocol. Hey, if you want to know all about VXLAN and how to make the right decisions, the right design decisions, check out today's episode of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast. Welcome back, my friends, nerds, geeks, and Ziglets out there. We have another episode of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast, where Zigabytes, those Zigabytes are faster than those Gigabytes. Again, we strive to provide that real-world context around technology. What is up, everybody? I hope everyone is doing great. Zigziga here, and welcome to episode 91 of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast. We're getting closer and closer to that elusive episode 100. Woo! Just nine more to go after this one. Once again, my name is Zigziga. I'm here to help you with network engineering, network design, and network architecture. But today, and today, not but today, and today, we are discussing the ins and the outs of VXLAN. Helping me, helping me today is my good friend, well-known industry expert, Cisco Live distinguished speaker, Cisco Press author, Lucas Crediger. Now, real quick, for those that may not know Lucas, Lucas Crediger, he is a distinguished engineer in technical marketing. He works in the Cisco business unit with 20 plus years of experience in both data center, internet, and application networks. Now, within the Cisco business unit, he actually works in the intent-based networking group. He specializes in data center switching architectures and solutions across all our platforms. Now, Lucas is a double CCIA with several other industry expert certifications, and he participates in various technology leadership and advisory groups. He's going to join us today. I, I, I'm truly amazed that he's able to join us and have a good little chat about VXLAN. Um, he's the one I reached out to when I was studying for my CCDE years and years ago, um, and, and I had a bunch of questions on VXLAN. And getting him on here is truly an awesome situation for all of us. Hey, Lucas, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. How are you doing, buddy? Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. And I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. Hope you're oh, doing good. Oh, yes. Do, it's very do, sunny do. here. Uh, I'm in New York today. Um, and it's very sunny. And it's been raining for the last like week. So today being no rain, it's dry outside. It's really nice. If I can get out of the office and get some time outside, I can't wait. Hopefully, I'll go for a hike or something. But it's glad I'm glad to have you here. And I know today we're going to talk about VXLAN, and we're going to try our best to keep it simple, scalable, and uncomplicated. That, that's our goal, right? That sounds like fantastic. Let's go and try to make something which is actually very simple and scalable, also uncomplicated. I think that's a great awesome, topic awesome. for today. Before we dive in, uh, would you mind kind of giving a, like a quick intro of who you are, what you do, um, the kind of the, the, the cliff note versions of who you are? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Pleasure. Um, so working at Cisco for not yet 10 years, wow, soon nice. to be. So I'm looking forward to uh, a little anniversary there. Um, hopefully a big party outside and not confined as we are today in this uh, crazy 2020 or 2021 where we are right now. Um, beyond that, I was working in a lot of uh, service providers in the past, um, very large-scale networks. Uh, we did something was, which was called data centers at that time. But in fact, it was more Ethernet switching. I mean, there, there were not real data centers in the very traditional sense. Um, 
it was the racks with some servers and uh, at, at best you had a switch if not a hub uh, in these in these uh, uh, racks there uh, then in the meantime uh, some service providers said uh, some uh, vars or value-added resellers or cisco partners uh, did a lot with cisco partners um, stand stood up um, one partner to be at the early times the UCS specialization uh, back then. So I was on the customer side or the partner side. I was also doing a lot of uh, customer engagements at these uh, points in a, in a consulting fashion. So I built networks, I designed networks, I operated networks, and um, now I'm building the products on the on the other side with a, a very little sales prior to moving into the BU, uh, working in technical marketing these days. Um, and it's switching, routing, protocols, uh, data center, van, enterprise networking. You 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 choose. If there is a protocol around, I'm happy That's to have awesome. fun. So real quick, you said BU. What's what's the BU stand for? Okay, yeah, BU, um, short-term internal Cisco, which is a business unit. Um, it's the groups which are creating products or building software. Um, the area where I'm working in is the so-called intent-based networking group which entails everything Catalyst, everything Nexus, everything Whoa. iOS XE, everything Annex OS. So that's the technical marketing group, which I'm sitting in there. And You're doing uh, everything fun. then. I mean, really, you're doing like everything over there. I'm not doing everything. Uh, I'm doing a lot of pieces. But when you want to look at things from an architecture perspective, then it's very important to not only understand that you have a feature X, but how protocol works, how protocol works across platforms, how protocol works across vendors. So multi-protocol, multi-vendor kind of work is what I did in the past. When, when you worked at a service provider, you probably had a similar experience. Um, when you worked with customers, you had a similar experience. So it, it doesn't help that you know um, router OSPF uh, configures it on iOS. You need to understand what the the um, base functionality is behind that, what you actually start. Um, and you need to understand what is the equivalent base functionality you can get in another vendor operating system or in, into Annex OS and what are the defaults, how the protocol behaves. And then it doesn't really help you to know the, the exact CLI command. It helps, obviously. But uh, from a high-level perspective, it's about how the protocol behaves um, to, to to other devices and what it, what is the essence underneath. So that's that's the fun part, actually, of a lot of. It things sounds a lot of fun, actually. And and you and I haven't talked about this, so I, I'm a little intrigued. So you know, it sounds fun because if we would take like a basic protocol like Spanning Tree or even like you know. OSPF, like, I mean, routing protocol, generic OSPF, you have to not just under, you have to mm -hmm. know the theory behind OSPF. Um, cause I'm going to pick on OSPF for a minute, um, from a, from a, you know, probably an RFC perspective and how it operates, but then you also have to know it, how it works on each product, each, it's hardware base, NXOS and, and catalyst, and then maybe even other vendors, um, and how it works and how it's different yep. between the different products and, and hardware based. That that is correct. Um, so let's let's put hardware very briefly on site. That that comes with it when you when you program the forwarding information, etc. But just from a protocol behavior, yeah, there's the RFC, which I would guess is a, a good guideline. But then there are implementation specifics in software. And you you took OSPF. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm not going down into the LSAs, but um, how you take certain things from the link state. Uh, protocol itself, in that case, OSPF, 
um, do the evaluation across the different uh, route types you actually have in there or the different LSAs you have in there, and then how you install them in a single um, routing table. Let's, let's call it the RIP, routing information base, which is basically the software part. And then how you take this information and put it into the FIP, the forwarding information base. Uh, a lot of people call it the TKM or, or the, the, the hardware at that point. There, there are a lot of different pieces uh, in between from receiving the object to treating the object to installing the object to programming the object. So it's, it's a lot of fun and you're absolutely right. Um, different vendors behave differently, different OSs behave differently. Um, and you need to go and look into that on what the behavior is and what is the uh, respective knob to turn in order to make it work uh, together. And um, I mean, this this is perfect segue to every protocol. I mean, we took OSPF, uh, you want to take spanning tree, uh, you want to take uh, BGP, you want to take uh, VPN address families to do a little bit uh, a hook into our upcoming discussions. But all of them, you need to understand what is the intended behavior and what is the configured behavior and what do you need to do in order to achieve the intended behavior and uh, get the result you're looking for. That is that is outstanding. I, I love that. So you know, I might have to pick pick that up as another topic in the future, Lucas. Just to throw that out there for you, um, because I think that could be a huge topic <laughs> on on you know, um, just just understanding like the implications there of what you do on a day to day, right? In the, in the business unit, um, and you're on so many different pr um, platforms focusing on whatever technology that is. Now, from a protocol perspective, I think this kind of is a good segue. We're going to focus on VXLAN today. So, you know, um, sure. I'm going to ask, a, maybe it's a myth buster question. I don't know. Um, I think for me and, and maybe for some people listening, um, VXLAN is histor historically going to be on the Nexus devices, but can that VXLAN run on multiple product, uh, multiple hardware devices besides VXLAN or NXOS? Yes, abs absolutely. So VXLAN, Virtual Extensible Local Area Network, is, is basically a data plane encapsulation. So it's just how I um, use, a, if you want, so an Ethernet on steroids, an Ethernet which can run, run over IP. And there are various platforms which support that. I mean, working for Cisco, um, let me take the Cisco hat on a little bit. So we run it in NXOS. Um, we run it in, in, in NXOS on the hardware platforms, which is pretty much every Nexus platform, which 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 does it. Um, iOS XE, we run it on the ASRs. We run it on the Catalysts. So Catalyst 9K, for example, runs, runs VXLAN there. Um, we have it on the ASR 9K. So iOS XR, checkmark, does it too. Um, we actually have it on the ASAs. <laughs> or the FTDs. So we have even a VXLAN encapsulation there. So you see, it's it's very widespread. And now we, we were talking specifically about um, the router switch and, and network operating system on top of it. But if we move over to the service side, we, we have something which is called uh, CMIM, uh, Cisco Virtualized Infrastructure Management, which also runs VXLAN tunneling. So it, it is a very versatile encapsulation. And I think the, the main reason why it's so versatile is I can do um, everything what I want to over a simple layer three IP routed network. Um, that is where actually the 
the, the, the reason for that simplicity or for some of the simplicity of VXLAN comes from, I just need a routed network. So that, that we bring that all the way down for, we just need a routed network and that's kind of where VXLAN plays. I just need a routed network. Uh, so I can, I can choose VXLAN as my option and I don't have to run like spanning tree anymore per se. Right. <laughs> so I, I know that's going to open up a discussion. You don't. You I have don't. to throw that out there, right? No, that's good. That That's good. Actually, the, the one piece which I think VXLAN is really a problem solver is I can get rid of VXLAN in layer, sorry, I can get rid of spanning tree in layer two networks. So it's it's an alternative. Um, when, I, when I want to connect hosts directly to a VXLAN network, there is no spanning tree. I don't have a need for a spanning tree. So I can get rid of it if I want to. It's, I don't want to call it an alternative as the protocols are slightly different from, from what they do. One is in Ethernet trying to block loops, spanning tree. The other thing is doesn't even create loops. It creates a eco-cost multipath network, uh, point-to-point tunnels or point-to-cloud tunnels over a layer three network, um, which implicitly has no loops. So it's it's it, it gives you the same result. I just think it gives you a better result as you can use all the links in VXLAN versus in spanning tree, you can use one path per segment. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of not using spanning tree. So if I have multiple links, I don't I don't I don't want to have one as an active link, one as a backup link. Like I want to use all my links, right? So and that's that's why I've always been a big fan of like layer three links or, or VXLAN from a design perspective. I'm gonna run those extra links, those extra cables, one gig, ten gig, whatever that might be, or provider links even. I want to be able to leverage them. I want to be able to use them and consume that traffic or that that bandwidth so I can get to my traffic, right? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I just give you a little hands up and uh, that's that's the one. Check your MTUs. Uh, VXLAN introduces either 50 or 54 bytes, depending on if you use an inner dot one queue or no inner dot one queue. So if you have a VLAN um, uh, signalized in the encapsulation or if you don't, but if you can address uh, 1550 or 1554, you're you're pretty good to to run that all over the top. Or alternative, you reduce your host site MTU to something smaller that you can accommodate these 50 or 50. So we got to check our MTUs. That's uh, you heard it first, everyone. You heard it first. Lucas said it. Check your MTUs. Um, what about? I'm going to ask this question. What about jumble frames? Is that <laughs> yes. a requirement too here, or is that not a requirement? It's it's not a requirement per se. I mean, go, going larger than fifteen hundred, meaning fifteen fifty or so, is not really a jumbo frame. It's uh, it's more like little giants, uh, or how we call them in the past when we when we added a dot one Q or two dot one Qs to an Ethernet frames. Um, yes, you can do jumbo absolutely. So you can go uh, all the way up to ninety two sixteen. I think that's what we mostly use on the platforms these days. But again, keep in keep in mind, uh, 9216 is what your switch probably can do. Uh, you go 50 back when, or 54 back in order to um, accommodate um, whatever needs to be from an overhead. But then you're still wide enough for supporting all the hosts, which most of the time only support like 9K or 9,000, right? So Ethernet-wise, 9,000. You plug in 9,000, 9,050 would be the number uh, which you minimal would support, but in fact you have ninety two sixteen on the network side. So, yeah, you can go crazy with uh, jumbo MTU uh, in there as, mu- as I much. I had to as ask the want. question, right? I actually have some customers that are using that they can't do certain things, but they don't have jumbo MTU support. But it's just a clarifying yep. question for myself. Um, so, 
application yeah. demands DMT. Right, exactly. Very it's the application yeah. demands it, right? So, um, you know, the, the so I think there's this idea with with the VXLAN, and so maybe you can help me here on on this. Is do we need an underlay and an overlay network? And if we do, what are they? Okay. The the thing with this terminology of underlay and overlay. Um, a lot of um, questions around that very often because you talk about VXLAN, you talk about the overlay, you talk about the encapsulation which runs on top, and then everyone explains it what what VXLAN does, and and everyone forgets about what actually the transport network uh, requires to do where you run VXLAN over. So that that's what we call the underlay. It's the it's the network underneath uh, the overlay or what allows you to build the topology. The the overlay can even exist. Um, I don't have a real per se requirement to it. I mean, give me IP reachability. Give me IP reachability between VTAPs. VTAPs are the VXLAN tunnel endpoints. Uh, that, that's the IP address where the tunnel originates from and the tunnel will uh, destined to. Um, most often, you would guess you use a loopback, given, again, we want to use equal cost multipath networks. So we want to advertise it equally across all the paths. Loopback is an interface behind the physical interface, so it becomes much more uh, prevalent to use something like this instead of uh, it's like BGP neighborships, right? In a service provider world, like you want to do your loopback at zeros yeah, or whatever thing, your loopback right? addresses. Uh, yep. Yep. Loopback is always a good thing. Um, I would give that as a as a high thumbs up if you do that. If you're not doing that, you probably will create your own uh, little issues uh, apart from that. In some vendor it might not even work. Um, loopback routed uh, network routed loopback to loopback. Uh, choose your routing protocol. I mean, I think just because of just the routing protocol discussion itself, we can probably spend hours about. And uh, I have opinions, and uh, strong opinions come from the simplicity side. I think uh, an IGP works super well as what we call an underlay protocol which uh, exchange these loopback addresses. Remember, it's a couple of loopbacks you exchange. It's a couple of point-to-point -point at best you have. So this is not a huge routing table. It's not a huge link state database you have. And um, you, you also get in the simplicity of the uh, IGPs, you get a uh, link cost. You, you know actually what a link a metric is automatically sometimes via via the bandwidth of the link being told to you. Um, if you think of a port channel, so you have uh, four links at 10 gig in a port channel, it's a 40 gig at that point. If one gig disappears, we signalize to the routing protocols, hey, bandwidth is reduced. So from an ECMP perspective, we, we are changing these things. These are all kind of things which you would like to have or which you potentially would like to have in, in building an underlay. Uh, there. So my vote often goes, most of the people know OSPF, so they, they run with OSPF. Um, I prefer to some extent a little bit of more um, complicated protocols like ISIS, uh, just for for the case um, I can run V4 and V6 uh, independent of the protocol. OSPF, there, there is some variation of doing um, address families, but in, in its essence is OSPF v2, OSPF v3 uh, for v4, v6 respectively. Um, <clears throat> so I said, ISIS, cool protocol if you if you like it, if you get something else, if you want to get familiar with, with this, uh, works works pretty well in these areas. I, I have to say, I haven't seen EIGRP. But could that be an option though? Just um, curious. There's no limitation there, right? 
could could be an option. I mean, I, I really don't care. It's uh, it's it's more of a question if the EIGP fits your topology. I think the routing protocol needs to fit the, po the topology. And uh, Leaf Spine, for example, um, OSPF, easy. ISIS, easy. EIGRP, don't know if you get some stock in SIA, yeah. inactive in in some scenarios. I mean, uh, can happen. I'm, I'm not saying it does. It's it's just leaf spine would probably not be the EIGRP case given its its hybrid nature. Um, I think the the other IGPs are are well more suitable. Uh, but I would, for example, never use RIP uh, to be very honest. And and the similar way as I would never use RIP as an underlay is I would never use BGP as an underlay. Because in in the essence, um, a path vector or or um, such pro or distance vector, um, I, I don't think these protocol really fit too well um, in in such leaf spine networks. Um, when when we introduce an overlay, I want to be very specific um, to this. When we introduce an overlay, um, if you're just using it as a as a router network and you do some craziness there on your own might fit very well. But we, we know of customers that have equally scalable networks at OSPF as well as PGP in the, in the house. So your choice. Yeah, it's really so your I, choice. I think this is great, right? Because I think it, we can summarize real quick. And I think there's that misnomer that VXLAN's the the underlay at times. I think I get some people that say VXLAN is the underlay and it's not. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's so I, I think that's just a misunderstanding. That people have and so i mean based on what you just said i think it's easy to, to summarize the underlays are it's ip connectivity it's fast reliable redundant ip connectivity between the, those vtep locations those loopback addresses that we're talking about um now is, is there any need to for the other routes to be known like could you t i mean if you had a very large environment could you filter everything else out but the loopback addresses you need reachability between That's the loopbacks. Right? That's the essence of what you need for the overlay. And uh, we, we can go back in history. Uh, if you use GRE, uh, what mm -hmm. did you really need in order to make a GRE tunnel work? In essence, it's a loopback to loopback, which, which was required. Do you need to have the intermediate hops? Uh, great for your troubleshooting and for topology visibility, but not for the encapsulation protocol itself. Um, it's awesome. it's not really required at that point. Yeah, I was curious, like because it sounds very similar to like LSPs, like in a label switch network for MPLS, right? Like you don't necessarily need, you just need to be able to create those labels, right? That that end to end label path, um, those label neighbors, and then also BGP. Yep. You just need to be able to create the neighbors. You need IP connectivity from your neighbor addresses, but you don't need to know the rest. So you can literally reduce the size if you had a need to reduce the size of the table. Not that you have a, de a need Correct. these days to reduce the size of the tables uh, and the underlay. Correct. I mean, they're, they're in, in LSP or in, in label switched path, you still have considerations around traffic engineering, for example, where then the protocol becomes more important um, from, from a functionality. I mean, we, we know single area uh, IGPs for TE cases, at least in the RSVP world, um, is, is a key thing. Um, the, the other thing, which, which I want to give a little bit of a contrast to the VXLAN side, uh, if you'll let me say, is in VXLAN, the only nodes which are relevant for tunnel encapsulation is the VTAP who originates and the VTAP who terminates, so the source and the destination. Every hop in the middle doesn't have a requirement to VXLAN. 
because we're not touching it. It's an IP UDP encapsulation. So for us, it looks like IP UDP traffic at that point. When we when we put that over to MPLS, you need to have, as soon as at least you have a layer three hop in the middle, you need to have a layer switched yeah. router or layer switched path, which goes end to end. And that was actually one of the big problems in ethernet networking or in uh, fabric path that your nodes have to be encapsulation aware. In VXLAN, the source and the destination needs to be encapsulation aware. The rest doesn't require any encapsulation awareness. Again, coming back to why that protocol is actually so simple to use, the protocol is actually pretty complicated when we look at it from, from the very detail. Um, th th there are a lot of moving parts around that, but the network is super simplified from a transport perspective, from an underlay perspective, from a topology perspective. Well, that, that's really cool. So um, are, there, are there other reasons why or other defining characteristics that people assume that make VXLAN complex, but it's not really that complex? Yeah, I think one, one of the areas is VXLAN flood and learn, as which was the original VXLAN, if you want so. Uh, required a way to distribute broadcast on a unicast and multicast traffic, so what we call BUM, B-U-M. And in Flood and Learn, there is no real active control protocol which would tell you about, that's my universe of VXLAN segments or MAC addresses or anything. So it's Flood and Learn. So I have to flood in order that I can learn, like, like in Ethernet. So in these designs, in these early days, Multicast was a requirement for the underlay. And a lot of people are not comfortable with multicast. So it's it's a moving part where it's where it becomes complicated. I mean it's it's not really it's it's not really complicated per se. It's just it's another protocol to the unicast protocol. You had to um, I think I think that's a, an assumption that people make that it's complicated. I mean, if you don't do it on a daily basis, you kind of forget it. Like you know, like we do routing on a daily basis. You don't really forget routing, but if you don't do multicast every day, yeah. I mean, it, you lose that skill sets and the the theory. You have to read and learn it. I have to relearn it all the time. So I think that's just a yeah. It's inverse, right? It's not it's not forward. Exactly. It's reverse. So that's if if you're there and understand the source and the receivers and the path. Um, you're you're pretty much there. Uh, I guess there are a couple of nuances in in PIM which which makes it more complicated, like uh, going from a, a share tree to a source tree and how the how the handoffs work there. But remember, in VXLAN, if you use multicast, you're always in a source tree, so you you already simplifies a lot of the mechanics. And the VTAP is your source. And every other VTAP is a receiver to you. So you actually have not only one tree, but everyone creates its own tree, meaning every VTAP is the own source of its own tree. And every other VTAP joins that same tree. So you, you can make um, make it complicated if you want to and use uh, mm -hmm. ASM, uh, any source multicast, or uh, very often called a sparse mode. Or you can go over and use Bydeer which basically means you just need a routing vector and everything becomes much simpler. Um, you just go into star G, um, meaning group uh, bindings instead of uh, source group bindings uh, as, as with sparse. And you have things much more simplified there. Again, I'm going back to the leaf spine network. Think of it. Uh, my spine is most likely my rendezvous point. 
So do I want my rendezvous point to distribute state information or help me to, to distribute state information as it is in sparse mode? Or if I use bydeer, it becomes my routing vector. And as anyway, all my traffic goes to the spine and is my routing vector, it already does the job more implicitly. So do I need to keep all the S-comma-Gs for PIM sparse? Or can I go to the star Gs as with bydeer and, and have it simpler at that point? So you can make things, even with complicated, simpler. By, by using the right protocol. Of, so, so I think of you said something there and I want to I want to bring it up and, and harp on it, right? You jumped right into multicast, right? So, and, no, 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 that's cool. Sorry that's cool. That. I mean, I'm all with you. I just, I just, um, and I want to make sure I make this point for everyone else that's listening to this because you have to understand the, the theories of the protocols. Like it's, you have to understand the pros and cons. So when, when we're talking about star comma Gs and, and the opposite of what we were just talking about, right? The, um, all the different mechanisms under the hood. There's pros and cons to using like a rendezvous point or using Bider. Like you have to weigh those pros and cons and compare them and contrast them. So what, what Lucas just said, yep. one option would be complex and not efficient, not effective. It would work, but it'd be complex, not efficient, not effective. And then if you did Bider, that option would actually be less complex and more effective and more efficient, right? So you have to compare and overlay the different technologies together that's all the design is right that's all design is so it it is knowing knowing the protocols in its essence for what you want to use it for your topology uh, i mean let, let's be honest by dear uh, not very well known like like isis for example um but there are some things in these protocols on why they were built and and why they are there so there, there's a reason for everything uh, why it has been done. So it's good to understand the protocols. Um, may maybe you don't need to have every little detail of these protocols, but it's good to understand them from a, from a, um, what they try to solve. And then your choice of building your transport network, your underlay with the right protocol for your topology, meeting your requirements, will make your life easier subsequent Mm -hmm. down to understand why the protocol exists what it solves what it's there for like that i i wish someone had told me that like my first two years in the in this industry like like because you know <laughs> back when i started out i was all about like i like the ones and zeros i like routing i'm going to do eigrp only eigrp right that this was years and years ago but there's a reason that all this stuff exists and so if we can just pull that back and understand hey Spanning tree is here for a reason. I hate it, but it's there for a reason. What's the reason, right? Um, and then if you can't mitigate that reason, then it's a perfect, you know, tool to mitigate uh, to address that reason from a design perspective. Uh, on that note, you know, we talked about some of the other protocols. We talked about spanning tree. You mentioned fabric path. So I'm going to ask, like, are there any other protocols that can kind of be chosen or used to be chosen over VXLAN? Oh, there are probably tons of it. Um, we we had uh, some iteration of MPLS in the data center. Um, <laughs> di didn't really make it. Uh, I I have a strong opinion there, there why it didn't make it, and uh, I think that will not change anytime soon uh, if you use MPLS uh, or MPLS-like derivatives. Um, I mean, we we had Fabric Path, as you said, as a Mac and Mac encapsulation at the Ethernet layer, basically um, adding some header function there um an alternative to it or the standard to it was trill 
uh, I think we closed the Trill Working Group like uh, two years ago, I think, in the IETF. So um, it's kind of finished, if you want so, but I haven't seen much in the industry as well. Uh, SPB, uh, Shortest Path Bridging, was another one um, when, when we go there. But then there, there were other protocols uh, next to, to VXLAN. Some of them came around the same time. Same uh, Others came a little bit later. So NVGRE was one uh, iteration of it, uh, which uh, comes from the GRE world, but with the Layer 2 capability. It was a com- contender to, to VXLAN at that time. Um, is not much widely uh, deployed these days, I would say. It, I cannot say it died. I mean, it pops up from some in some areas, but it's it's not really widely uh, present. Then um, a little bit later, we had uh, GP, or if you want to call it VXLAN on uh, VXLAN 2.0. Um, GP is generic protocol encapsulation. It's it looks at VXLAN, but allows you to have option headers um, being present there. So took some of the um, VXLAN is a layer two overlay protocols. You always have an inner MAC header. To you can choose what the inner header is. Is it MAC? Is it IP? Or we even had some some service stitching, uh, service function chaining function in in GP, but didn't vent wide uh, into the industry. And similarly, there was uh, there was another protocol which was called GUE, which is basically just a a, a mirroring to to GP itself. And more more recently, um, there is that whole uh, notion around Geneve, uh, which is out there, which is, again, trying to solve similar approaches as GPE or GUE does to add more option header in the data plane encapsulation, to have more intent, more notion of what you actually want to do with the encapsulation uh, covered in the data plane. Uh, th- these were some of these. And uh, the more recently, we, we see some MPLS or, or IPv6 uh, approaches coming up. Uh, segment routing is one. Um, segment routing v6 or with, with IPv6 header is another one. There are all of these different ver- variations, uh, if, if you want, so of protocols. Uh, Others are using Lisp, right? In, in the campus, for example, SDA, uh, we're using Lisp. In SDVAN, we're using OMP, uh, which is kind of another overlay uh, protocol there. Even as I'm, I'm, I'm blending now a little bit things together um, from VXLAN as a pure data plane encapsulation to some of these other um, terms I used, which often have a combination of data plane and control plane uh, together. I mean, Lisp, for example, is data plane and control plane in its original essence uh, today in SDA, for example. We use VXLAN with Lisp. Uh, OMP is is more of a overlay management protocol. It's not really the encapsulation itself. We we use some encryption there as well to get these going. So I, I have to be careful to stay accurate no, when you ask good. me these questions. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm getting in... in, in in, well, this was great though because here. you wouldn't. I mean, and, and, and just so everyone knows that it's Leslie, like, like none of this was scripted. Like, we didn't list all these things out. Lucas just went off and he listed everything that he could think of, and he's got a ton of those things in his head. So that's awesome. That's great stuff. I think I forgot did. OTV. You did forget OTV. I did. Do you I did see OTV, OTV a lot these days, though? I haven't seen OTV in a few years. I'll be honest. Um. So OTV in its original intention of what the encapsulation is, we all see a lot because it's basically how VXLAN looks like. When you look at the header format, 
OTV header format, which which was a UDP encapsulation, looks pretty much the same as as the VXLAN headers. So, in from that sense, yes, you, you know, see OTV yeah, alone. VXLAN. Um, <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, so, exactly. So, th- th- thank you, Dino, for that one. Uh, if, if you want, I mean, Lisp similar thing um, from that side, but um, we do still see it. We we do a slight transition from OTV to VXLAN eVPN actually. Uh, from from a data center interconnect perspective, uh, simple reason is in OTV we had ISI as a control plane for MAC reachability, so we did layer two only. When we move to VXLAN eVPN, we do layer two, but also we do layer three. So mm-hmm. we enhanced route reachability to the data center interconnect, which makes it for some users simple, some customers simple to have one protocol which can. Uh, which uh, carries the notion of uh, bridging information and routing information versus having one protocol for bridging and a different one. No, that's good. You can put it all together, right? That that from a why make it why have multiple protocols if you don't need them? That's where I'm at too. So yeah, I mean we we could have uh, added to OTV uh, an IP address uh, function. I mean ISIS again. Mm-hmm. It's a neutral protocol there. We could have had the IS ISIP. Um, address family if you want so and then we would have been done a similar way but the the industry moved towards a more uh, bgb uh, friendly approach when we look at the vxlan control plane and that's where evpn went to ethernet vpn i think i think we've made it a little simple i think we've talked about all the ways to make vxlan simple i think it's time to maybe discuss some scalability options from like design perspectives um so maybe just just some basic stuff right um what about VTEP termination, right? We talked about VTEPs. We talked about kind of, mm-hmm. you know, the whole point is to get the IP connectivity from VTEP to VTEP. Um, so are any specific kind of scalability concerns when we're talking about termination options for VTEPs? Sure. Um, a lot of them. And a lot of them got get forgotten over, over the years. Um, so the, the VTEP itself, um, it it is one object in the network and you can have nv taps meaning normally every switch is a v tap um, at that point can a switch have multiple v taps theoretically yes um, what is the use case of value for it um, let's discuss that separate so let's stick to one v tap per switch each v tap can assign what we call VNIs, VXLAN network interfaces, or VXLAN network identifiers, which is basically a VLAN which is way wider. So we go from uh, 4Ks to 60 million identifiers. And please bear with me, I'm saying identifiers. I'm not saying uh, you can do uh, 60 million bridge domains on a single switch. That would probably completely go crazy there. But you attach multiple VNIs to a VTAP. And if you have consistency across the network, meaning another VTAP has the same VNI as you, that's when communication starts. And that communication starts by creating a tunnel adjacency. It's dynamically discovered, so you don't have to say my neighbor VTAP IP address is X. We discovered that automatically over the uh, in flood and learn the, the, the bump protocols or in eVPN based on the eVPN control plan, meaning BGP at that point. Now, as it is a full mesh kind of networks, meaning every VTAP with the same VNI connects to every other VTAP with the same VNI, that's that's basically a 
n square minus one problem you're you're creating, scalability is something which needs to be looked at. Um, what is the amount of VTAPs I can have as neighbor? That that's one entity, and then how many VTAPs do I want to have as direct neighbor? So the can and the want. I, I can. I mean, in our hardware platforms, uh, specifically Nexus 9000, we have, um, I think the, the hardware supports somewhere larger than 8,000 uh, tunnel neighbors. And that means 8,000 uh, 8, 8, tunnel neighbors multiplied by 4,000 VLANs, which is normally the amount of VLAN to VNI mapping you can do in a switch. So do your math on how many uh, theoretical tunnel adjacencies you're actually creating at that point, and if you really... Uh, want to have that. So it's not 8,000 and that's the maximum I can do, uh, meaning uh, 4,000 VLAN, 8,000. You get the math there. It becomes very, very complicated on how the multiplication ends up at a point, but it's how large you want to go. It's not really how large you can go. So today, from the hardware, not really restricted on the software, we're in the areas between 256 or 512. It, it depends a little bit on how you design actually um, your networks. But I can have 512 neighbors and do 4,000 layer two segments to these 512 neighbors. Wow. So that's basically the, wow. exactly. I mean, look, look at the, um, the stacking, the, the full mesh network, and then you stack that full mesh network like 4,000 times. Th this is like, nothing which was here in Ethernet. And I often ask um, uh, our our partners, our customers on how large was your largest Ethernet networks? Was it beyond 16 bridges? I said, no, we kept it small because of spanning trees. Okay, so you have 16 bridges. Um, you took 4,000 VLANs for these 16 bridges. Why suddenly is it okay to do 256 or 512 or 1,000? bridges with 4,000 VLANs. So it, it has nothing to do with, am I more scalable really? Yes, of course I am because the protocol gives me more numbers, identifiers, and so on uh, in, in its availability. But should I really go that way? Again, we go back to the, to the uh, make it complicated versus make it simple. Uh, go scale big. I often say, if you scale big and flat, you fall flat. Um, I, I think we can scale very well. Our software is pretty uh, sturdy on that side. I'm not very con concerned on this, but operationally, I, I have my concerns uh, thinking of broadcast storms, which can happen in such networks. And the spread such broadcast uh, storms can have just simply by the scalability of the protocol itself. Yeah, I mean, that scale is crazy, right? That's, a, that's an insane scale. And that, that's what it can do. But it's not enough, right? It's not enough. We still need more. We still need more. It's not enough. I feel like we're talking about IPv6 now, where like every every IPv4 address has its own IPv6 slash 64 range, right? Like that's that's we have the scalability now. Like the hardware and even the mm -hmm. software has a scalability. The question comes down to what's your need, right? What's what's what do you want? Why do you need it? And I would always bring that back to the requirements. What are you trying to solve from a design perspective, right? And I and yep. and, and I and truly identify that. Because you may not need 512 
neighbors or I think that's what you said, right? Making sure I'm, I'm accurate. You don't, yep. <laughs> you don't yep. need yep. 512 neighbors in a, a full mesh configuration. Um, I don't know. Do you have any real world use cases, customer use cases without naming them, of course, where they're actually using 512 neighbors? <laughs> Is that something that's real in production today? Well, there, there, there are absolutely customers which have deployments all the way up to 512 VTAPs. It, it absolutely exists. And to, to make it worse, uh, I mean, worse from, from just a scale number perspective, they're using actually VXLAN not just for doing um, encapsulation of a single VLAN, but they're actually just doing something we call Q in VNI. So Q in Q, very well-known process. So we do Q in VNI. So you have 4,000 VLANs in one VNI. Wow. So think of the scalability you actually could achieve. Uh, we, we also have pseudo-wires where you can literally punt everything into the switch port and it will come on the other side. So if you really want to go crazy, you want to go into uh, MPLS over VXLAN or, or something like that. I mean, it, it happens and there are, use cases, there are use cases for that. And customer leveraging these use cases and they're... Uh, looking at us on giving them advice on how far they should go, where they should stop. Uh, we just don't try. We don't try to do an artificial number. Um, of course, there are scale numbers which we adhere to, just simply from a testing perspective. But very often we stop way earlier in the scalability discussions than the 512. To be to be very honest, and I think today. The 256 is a more um, widely used numbers versus if you go a year or two back, it was actually 64. Right? Uh, yeah, it's a huge difference, but it, it doesn't come from the fact that VXLAN changed. It came that our hardware ASIC changes. So when, when we go back, 6.4 terabit was what the chips had like probably two years ago, three years ago. So 6.4 terabits is 64 ports of 100 gig. So if you want to go with a fixed spine, you have 64 ports. So the horizontal uh, scale of a, of a leaf set is 64 leaves. Just, just very simple math. Now, these days, we are at 25.6T, which gives you 256 ports. So the horizontal um, uh, scale, the, the, the wideness of your leaves can go all the way to 256 on a fixed form factor switch to rack units or, or something similar like that. So we, we we start thinking on, again, designs become super, super critical. We, we, we start thinking on what is the right platform for the right function for the right size of networks. So you build that tier, that leaf spine tier in the most simplest way with the least amount of um, objects which can break. So you don't try to make it bigger than it needs to be. You make it as big as you can handle, and you're not trying to introduce artificial complexity. You want to keep it simple, and you want to fail fast. You don't want to have brownouts. If something breaks, I want to fail it. I want to get rid of it. So that's where this whole notion of uh, our dear cloud provider or cloud titans um, come from and say they're building in a very uh, cookie-cutter kind of approach and then expanding in a hierarchical fashion. So not go flat and wide, build it layer by layer by layer to fit your requirement of scale where you need to go. 
that that's awesome. That that's awesome. So um Okay. You know, I keep thinking that we keep going back to ASICs. You know, a lot of the conversations I've been having, it always come back to, to the ASICs and what the ASIC can support and all the upgrades that we do. Um, and I'm just amazed, like, over the years. I mean, if you go back 10 years ago, right, the ASICs just didn't have the, the capability that they have now. It's truly amazing to me. And I, I can only imagine what's going to happen in 20 years from now. Like, I mean, here, like you said, we're, we're, <laughs> we're doing so much more bandwidth than we were a year ago. And could you just imagine 20 years from now? I mean, I don't even know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> can't. I, I, I yeah, don't right, know right. the numbers. No one knows the numbers yet. <laughs> Maybe somebody <laughs> goes up. Yes. I mean, we are at 400 gig. 400 gig is emerging. Um, I think uh, we see the first uh, customers looking at data center deployments at 400 gig. We see service providers spending 400 gig uh, across their, their long distance uh, links, but it's not yet they're in the data center in the very traditional sense. At least mine is still 100 gig. Uh, I think it's mostly cost and optics, which which play a, a, a big factor into that. But given the chip has now way more bandwidth, I have more ports I can build at this uh, same bandwidth per link, meaning the 100 gig, uh, much more efficient and cost effective in, in such platforms. And I don't have to go to 400 gig. So we just call out the 400 gig platforms these days, but very often it still be used. Yeah, we nonchalant, gig. right? Yeah, I'm going to use a 400 gig platform. I need that, right? And it, most people don't actually need that, but um, but Not soon, yet, but, but soon, ready, right? Sure. Everyone, the whole world will be 400 gigs. Soon, yeah, yeah, just, we'll see. We'll see, 800 gig well, is Well, I mean, next, then it's going to be terabyte, man. Like, this is, it's going to get to the terabyte. Screw, screw gigs. It's going to be, all right, I got a terabyte uplink <laughs> to my Switch, you know? I have so much data coming down to my computer. Soon, soon. It's crazy. Yep, yep. But as I said, the, the most important from a scalability is really how you build out your data center topology, um, if you know your racks you want to go, your bandwidth requirement, your oversubscription factor, then you start building out your pods. Um, we call pod basically the leaf spine function. Um, these two layers, this collapsed um, class, that's what we call a pod. So it's always the leaf and spine. And when you want to go beyond that pod, um, you take some technology to interconnect these pods um, to to get that seamless uh, VXLAN end-to-end feeling. And uh, we, we made a lot of work in these areas. Um, but as I said, it's, it really starts on choosing the right platforms for the right function, for the right topology, the right protocol. And then you just build one layer after the next and you What's scale it? it out. So I bid part one. I built pod two, I built pod three. I interconnect these pods with what we call from a technology, it's called multi-side. And you have each pod of 256 multiplied by, I think today we're at 25 or something like this. So do a math on what your VTAP scale can go. But, and that's one of the important things which I want to relate to, which we had previously a discussion. I don't have a full mesh anymore as I'm, isolating the full mesh within a pod and then interconnect the next layer with each other. So reducing the fan out, which is necessary. And with this simplifying the the, um, troubleshooting and optimizing the scalability. Sorry, I jumped a little bit. No, no, you're fine. That's great. So I'm going to ask some uh, pointed questions, right? So you uh, talked about single site, multi-site real quick, right? mm -hmm. Um, So those pods, right? You're defining those pods and and you're limiting the scalability to that pod. So you're not not creating that VTAP full mesh outside of that pod. 
building block, if you will, right? It's like a pod building block. Um, it's still a VXLAN network, or is it not no longer like like between the different pods? Is it still running VXLAN? Yeah, we're actually still running VXLAN. So what we do is we do VXLAN tunnel stitching. So we take, um, based on the routing protocol, we know where an endpoint sits. And based on we know where it sits, we, we know what the next stop is. So we're reoriginating the next stop at the border. So let's say leaf, spine, spine access my border. So I know I have to send it to the border because it's outside of my pot or outside of my fabric, uh, if, you, if you want so. And from that point, I know, okay, it's it's not local to me. I need to send it to somebody else who's responsible. So I send it to a neighbor gateway. We call them border gateways, by the way. So we send it to a neighbor gateway because the next stop defines that I have to send it to that neighbor gateway. He takes it, looks at it, does a lookup, say, oh, um, actually that hosts it somewhere at the leaf. Let me send it to the leaf. So we, we do the simple mm. hop by hop by hop behavior. Um, from a BGB perspective, and we stitch the tunnel wherever the next hop acts or where the next hop sits. So we have VXLAN tunnel from leaf to what we call border gateway, and then from border gateway to border gateway, and again, border gateway to leaf. And it's all more, always closest to the source, closest to the destination. So we're trying to not do some, some crazy um, uh, hairpinning or anything like that. We're just following what the routing protocols tells us. Uh, yeah, so it's effective, it's efficient, um, and, and it's also scalable. And you had that that construct, that pod construct that you can roll out moving forward. And you probably have some sort of upper bound with um, the higher level element too, that if, okay, you hit your, your number of pods you can have connected, maybe you scale that out too. It's just a matter of time. I can theoretically build a hierarchy or a hierarchy or a hierarchy. It's if just I, if design. I, really yeah, I got you. I'm tracking. Again, it's design, right? It's 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 literally coming off this first leaf tier to your spine tier to your border tier, and then the interconnect between these borders and how how you no, want that, to do that. No, that's awesome. It's it all starts yeah. at the design. So, what about like super spines? Is that a thing? Is that is that a thing? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So, super spine. Um, absolutely. I mean, there there's various uh, confusion around what a super spine is. Um, different people have a different meaning behind that, but in in the traditional essence of what it means, it's an IP router or a switch, which does just IP routing, similar as a spine, but it is not um, the first tier after the leaf, so leaf, spine. After that, there is a super spine. So if you need to build um, two leaf spine pods and you say, hey, they're, they're only 64, but I want to go 20, 256 wide, I can interconnect the spine layers with a super spine. So that's that's the traditional uh, terminology where it, where it came from. But in the meantime, uh, people are using super spine as a as border node saying, I terminate VXLED there and just do IP routing mm -hmm. afterwards. Gotcha. So they, it's it's a little bit confusing, uh, a little bit confusing these days on um, that everyone understands the same thing, but Super for superimposed on top of the spine. Oh, perfect. And then the super super spine is super superimposed or superimposed on the super spine. So just just think of 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 the terminology of where the super comes from. I feel like we're talking about supers, like where we have superpowers now. You know. Oh, of course. We are <laughs> yeah, exactly. <Superman. laughs> yes. Or exactly. supergirl. It's just like you know the supers family. You know, like um, I don't know. I have a young kid. Incredibles is what I'm thinking in my head. The Incredibles movie. 
So that's that's, that's oh, yeah, all that that's pretty time. cool. Um, so I, you know, on the scalability, I have one question left on scalability, and then we can move into making it uncomplicated. The last kind of area that we want to talk about. So, what about mm-hmm. like Mac flooding? Because you know, when, when we talk about Mac flooding and some other protocols, it, it's it can get complicated, and it can and it can actually be really difficult to scale. Um, so how do, how is it handled at a high level, and how is it, how do we ensure it's scalable? Sure, sure. Um, the, the flooding always happens based on the bum replication. Oh, so, the bum. Okay. so what whatever floods come into the tunnel will go to every VTAP, which is part of the same layer two segment, meaning the layer, the same layer two VNI of the same uh, VLAN, if you want. So the, the VXLAN VLAN or VXLAN extended VLAN. So so um, sorry, I'm gonna I ask I got a thought clarifying thought for myself. So that means sure. if you have those sure. five hundred and twelve V TEP neighbors, all running the same VNI, they would yeah. get all that flooding yeah. information, all of them. Okay. Yeah, you will you will flood that single. Let's say it's an ARP broadcast. That's sometimes it's very simple to to use ARP because everyone knows mm-hmm. or heard of ARP. It's a broadcast. It 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 is basically a MAC flood at that point, right? So I'll I'll, I'll send out an ARP. Um, if I have five twelve VTAPs, I have to replicate that to every VTAP which hosts that same segment. Uh, that same layer two segment because I could have a host in that same subnet, which is behind it. So I have to replicate it. Now there are two ways on how I can replicate that traffic. Multicast we discussed uh, prior. That's a network-based replication. So I send one copy out of the VTAP to the network and let the network uh, do the replication, uh, one packet per link. Um, or we use what he calls ingress replication or head-end replication. Then the VTAP who receives that R packet, meaning the ingress node, the first uh, node which does the encapsulation has to multiply it for every neighbor he needs to send. So think of it, it needs to replicate that packet 512. So on your link, you're not only having one packet going out, you have 512 packets uh, going out. Um, it's hardware accelerated. So I don't really <laughs> well, not care. not huge packets, right? But How big are the packets? Just keep, keep the bandwidth, keep yeah, the bandwidth yeah. in mind uh, just there. But you you didn't ask really on... on um, how efficient or inefficient it is, but you, you're asking about the problems around it and how, how it can actually go and uh, mitigate some of these issues which might have floodings uh, in general. So the first thing is scope your VNIs to where you actually need it. Don't go everything everywhere. Scope it. Scope your network. I think that's best practice. Back in the .1Q world, we said VLAN allowed lists. Uh, today, it's basically just only send to the VTAPs where you really need, reduces uh, the impact of all of this flooding. The second thing is you can always use a storm control on the access ports. Easy way to do it, you only send a certain rate um, out instead of everything. That might impact your application, so be very, very careful on what the rate is you're setting and what the action is there, but that's, that's a point which you can look at. The third one, Again, I'm going slightly uh, back to the uh, hierarchical scaling, meaning building multiple pods and interconnecting them. If I have a flooding in a 64-byte pod, I send only one copy to the border node, right? It's one VTAP. That border node is one VTAP, that border gateway. And from that border gateway, I send one copy to each neighboring border gateway. So I don't need to send it for all the other leaves which are in the other fabric i just can reduce it to one 
copy between these two pots, between these two fabrics. So I, I do, again, a hierarchical scaling of I receive one copy, I send one copy forward, and I do the fan out um, subsequently there. And if I do this, I'm not only reducing the amount of copies I create, either in multicast or in ingress replication, but I can also rate limit at the gateway node. So where I stitch, I can say a gig of broadcast, I don't want to send to my remote networks. There must be an issue when I have a gig of broadcast. Let me limit it down to um, 10 meg. And it just isolates failure as well uh, as a result of it. So Mac flooding is, again, a design discussion. How you build your network, how you uh, fan out your VNIs to wherever you need them, and then how to hierarchically stitch things together and create uh, enforcement points to to avoid uh, violations. That's, that's great. I, I love it. It, it. You always bring it back to the design, right? Um, so I think that's critical. Uh, you know, this is a design podcast, so it, it's fitting, right? That's not, <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it, right? So... Um, so, so what about management, right? We talk about all this, um, and, and I don't know if everyone's going on the command line and doing all this work manually every day, or if there's some sort of management component. How do we, how do we people, how do people complete their O and M tasks, their operations management tasks every day? Sure, their customers, which are very adamant on the CLI, feel free. Um, you can build your Python scripts on top of our NXOS shell and uh, reduce the amount of input you give for the result you want. We, we have that option there. Um, we support Ansible. Uh, we're going to support Terraform. So build your own nice. uh, playbooks if you want. Uh, from the past, we, we had Puppet and Chef, Salt. Uh, choose your stack you, you actually want. That is there. We have very extensive uh, APIs. We do NetConf, uh, mostly with native models. We have OpenConfig. Uh, we actually are in the midst of um, expanding uh, VXLAN eVPN model in OpenConfig, given there were a lot of things missing there. So thank you to, to the whole community working on OpenConfig. It's amazing. And then last but not least, um, we are doing a lot with our data center network manager, uh, DCNM. It's being revamped uh, when we started going into DCNM version 11. We added a function which we call Fabric Builder. And out of Fabric Builder, you can build exactly what I explained to you, these scalable multi-layer uh, networks with, with a couple of clicks. So it's very efficient, very fast forward, and a lot of platform knowledge in there, given it's our operating system, NXOS, it's our switch. So we can build the best practices and the most simplified ways and scalable ways into the controller itself, which we did with Data Center Network Manager awesome, 11. Awesome. Uh, so flipping over to uh, some additional things, right? Um, we talked about a lot of best practices already. So any any other best practice recommendations or suggestions you might have, Lucas? Don't go and configure anything before you mapped out what you really want to do. Very often, people forget that it is a switch or a router. You want to set an IP on top of it. You want to set a protocol on top of it. And then later you figure out, oh, I, I want to do point-to-point -point, uh, subnet with slash 30 and slash instead of slash 31s, or I want to use IP unnumbered, or I want to use uh, IPv6, um, this, this uh, common used RFC 5549 for doing uh, v4 addressing over v6. Oh, how many loopbacks do I need and for what? So have your IP addressing plans 
done your uh, link plans done before you even touch the first switch. Ha have it have it uh, painted out in in however you like it. I think that that is one. And when you do this, you will see very very fast um, where your scalability goes from a topology perspective. Uh, think of it: you you create an aggregate uh, for all of your point to points. If you take uh, slash thirty slash thirty one it means you have a different amount of links you actually can address. And when you do that addressing, do you want to incorporate um, to what spine that link goes in the IP addressing? So think, think of simple 10, 1, 1, 1 goes to spine 1. 10, 2, 1, 1 goes to spine 2. If you do a trace route in your underlay, you immediately see which spine your traffic is actually hitting. And th these kind of areas make make your life easier. Loopbacks. Um, I can tell you you need at least two loopbacks. One for the data plane, the VTAP, the encapsulation. One for the control plane, BGB peering for the overlay, router ID, whatever you want to call it. So protocol, um, loopback, uh, uh, hardware, uh, data plane, loopback, if you want. So do I must use two? No. Should I use... Should I use take two? Yes, you should. Two completely different functions. What if you have at a point uh, you want to bring down your next hop address for the encapsulation, but you want to keep your BGP session up and running? Remember, today, when you use BGP, it's not anymore the neighbor which defines if you have reachability and if the protocol is being used. It's the next hop reachability which is there. Recursive next hop resolution. That's the key in there. So you can bring down your loopback for your VTAP. It will invalidate all the routes going to that VTAP without shutting down your BGB neighbor session. So think think of these things. And sorry no, for digressing a little bit, but it comes back to there the design, go, right? Um, is, is there a function where you want to um, shut down the loopback for the data plane versus the control plane should keep there? Do you, do you, do you want to you have any operational tasks where you want to avoid traffic coming to you. We do that. We have something called GIR, graceful intention and removal, uh, or maintenance mode in, in mm -hmm. easier terms. It doesn't bring down the BGP session. It brings down your encapsulation capability or decapsulation capability and, and routes the traffic around. But your BGP session stays up. I don't need to learn everything again. I can keep it. I just have to invalidate the routes which don't have a next stop. Again, no, no, that's sorry good. for that's digressing good. a little bit, but these, these are these basic design things. Uh, Out-of-band versus in-band management. So it's another of a design question. You have to uh, make your mind up what you want or you do your provisioning over a controller. So the th second thing, you should make your mind up early because what, whatever you do ends up uh, literally in how you design your network. No, so I'm going to just add a couple of things um, because I, I was I didn't want to cut you off. You were on it on a, on a roll, and it was great. Like it was great. So <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're Sorry. Good. Uh, so the first thing that you mentioned was you know don't don't touch the switch until you have a plan. Well, that's just design, right? You can't. You got to plan. You gotta you gotta have a. I, I call it plan to plan. Like dedicate the time and plan things out and and effectively design and understand that everything is a design decision. There's pros and cons to everything you're I, doing. I I could show you the amount of paper which is on my desk just for doodling designs or is is it 
is it some tablet or some other way? The whiteboard is your best friend to yeah, start. And I just you have to understand what you're doing. You have to understand the implications though. Like like if you have that like your example with one loopback, right? You could do it with one loopback, but what's the implications there? And I would call it a design term called shared fate. You're gonna if you you lose if you use that same loopback for your control plane and your forwarding plane. Well, now you have no ability to reduce the outage there. If you bring that loopback address down, you affect both your control plane and your data plane. I mean, that's just... And if you do in-band management over the loopbacks, you yes. cut your off during during the 2 a.m. in the morning. And you're wondering in your head, like, I'm, I'm, shoot, I bet with you how did I not get into this? What happened here? And they're like, oh, man, I messed up. Let, let's drive <laughs> to the office, right? Or drive to the yep, data center. Exactly. No, this is the, that was yep. definitely all good I hear stuff. You. Um, we already talked about this, I think. Um, can VHLAN be used outside of the traditional data centers design? And, and you did say yes at the beginning. Um, is it something that you're seeing a lot in the campus side of things now, outside of maybe SDA? I mean, SDA does it, right, already, but manual. I'm thinking more manual with that question. Sure. I, I, th I think the, the question is slightly wrong. No, that's and, fine. Do uh, it. Sorry to say that, but... Um, I think the campus moves to a fabric-like approach. And as such, you will see overlays being introduced there. What is the right overlay for you, for your use case? That's what you need to determine. Um, EVPN has the capability on iOS XE. It's, it's there. It, it has all the good stuff of layer 2 stretch, of layer 3 routing, of VRFs, uses BGP control plane for the overlay, EVPN address family. It's, it's all there. Um, but you have to look on, do you need layer two mobility in a campus network? In the traditional sense where your laptop or your PC is plugged into an ethernet port, there is no mobility. So is that really a criteria there? Now going to wireless or Wi-Fi, there is a completely different mobility required. So will or can EVPN accommodate that? Or is wireless an overlay on top of the overlay? Oh, now we're nesting. Now we're nesting overlays I, on top I, of overlays. Hey, well, I, <laughs> here we go. Look, me saying uh, EVPN is the right thing for the campus would, would basically say um, I would have a technology religion on one very specific thing. The use case and your designs drive what you really need in the respective networks. We have customers using EVPN in the van. Is it running on a Nexus? No. Is it running on an ASR? Yes. Is it running with VXLAN? No. Is it running with MPLS? Yes. So again, there are so many variations uh, happening on control, data plane, platforms, location. End-to-end -end flat, we know what it means. It's, it's not always the best build hierarchical structures and such hierarchical structures might introduce that. And I'm just taking the example of SDA right now. I want to have SDA in the campus, but I want to have VXLAN EVPN in the data center or ACI in the data center. Why? These are two domains, different requirements, and I can interconnect them very simply at layer three because I don't need a layer two between campus and data center in the traditional sense, right? And very often there is a man in the middle. So do I really want to have EVPN from the access switch in my campus to my van in the middle to my data center. And again, you said Mac flooding, I think. Yes. That was your topic, right? Do you really want to have that flooding potentially going all end to end? No. You want to create your 
domain boundaries. You want to have um, uh, control points, what we normally call the border nodes of, of, a, of a fabric. And choose, choose the right technology for the right design for the right Love use it. case. That, that's what I would like Love to it. give as an answer to that one. No, that's Very good. long. That's great. That's perfect, but, uh, right? Um, and one last question. Uh, you know, you know, we talked a lot about VXLAN, right? That's the whole point of the show today. So, you know, for those that are listening and, and they want to get started, you know, they're excited because we've been talking about it, all the nerd knobs and, and the zeros and ones and all the pros and cons. What would you recommend for them to be able to get started right now today to, you know, play with VXLAN, learn it, um, you know, toy around, toy around with it? Mm, well, uh, toy around. Um, we have a Nexus 9000 virtual. Uh, go and get it. Put it in your lab. Play around with the configs. Uh, have fun with it. Go in the lab. Definitely <laughs> not in production. Um, That's the key. Don't do it in production. <laughs> it's it's learning and experience, which which makes you proficient, right? It's 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 never comes from nowhere. So, um, re read a book. I mean, we we wrote a book uh, on it uh, a couple of years back. It's mostly VXLAN EVPN on Linux OS focused, and uh, we'll try to get some books over to you. Uh, so you hand them oh, hand hey. them out. Logistic is is the bigger thing than uh, writing the book. Actually, um, we'll make sure that we get that going. Um, there is um, related to that book we did a little bit earlier uh, Cisco Press video series. So you can go to Cisco Press and look at the EVPN video series there. I think it's like eight hours of uh, talking about a lot of things and and more technical constructs, not too much designs at that point. <laughs> more in the weeds. But the weeds. these these are the good areas to start with. Yeah, it's yeah. all about the weeds, right? It's all about getting into the details and learning. So I'll make sure that we there. I'll make sure um, we have the links yeah. to the um the sure. video course you mentioned. Uh you said eight hours. Um it was a video course, right? Make sure I heard that right. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah, make sure we have a link course, to that yes. in the show notes. And then your book that you mentioned, mm -hmm. because it's your book, right? It's not someone else's book. It's your book. Well, my, my book, I mean, it's it's with my dear co-authors, uh, David Jensen, um, working very close with me, and then Sham Kabadia in the engineering side works very close with me. So we co-authored it, uh, us three together. So it's not my book, it's our I, I book. I meant our, I meant yours, right? The Royal yours as a group. Sorry, I didn't mean it specifically just you, but... Yeah, no, absolutely. I wanted to make sure absolutely. that under, everyone absolutely. understood it was the book you're, that you're you are perfectly fine. Wrote, right? That that was my key there. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I want to... You, you mentioned that you'd hand some out for free. Is that what I heard? Well, I I have a couple of them lying around uh, somewhere, and I'll, I'll try to get some of them over to you, and then let's let's yeah. raffle it out or uh something like that and and get them to to the folks yeah out so there we listening. do giveaways just so you know we do a monthly giveaway and we could totally do this as a giveaway too if you want it's up to you no no pressure no pressure sure. um and, and we could make it so that um you could keep them at your house if you want and not send them to me um and then whoever wins the giveaway um you could just send them directly to them Sure, absolutely. And we can make we can them follow you on Twitter too, and LinkedIn, wherever you want. You know. Oh, sure. Yeah. If if anyone wants Twitter, LinkedIn, <laughs> choose. Uh, don't don't try Facebook. Uh, just as I probably haven't looked in. Yeah, I don't go on Facebook that often. My wife always tags me, and I'm like, oh man, I gotta go on Facebook now. Yeah, the the, the buzzer is happening there, yeah. right? Hey, uh, Lucas, this has been great, buddy. I appreciate it. Um, any last minute comments, concerns, questions, thoughts, opinions that you want to share with everyone? Yeah, I think one thing to to say, and now it becomes a long sentence again. <clears throat> um, first is don't stop at the data plane encapsulation. 
look at what the control plane solves for you. So yes, VXLAN is cool, but majority of the problem is solved when you add eVPN to it. And that, that, is, that is one thing I would put in everyone's heart to consider that. Um, NCAPs are great. It's, it's fancy terms of sniffing them, but the control planes making your life uh, easier there. And next to that, there, there is, uh, actually we created stickers on that. I probably have to create some more of them, um, which says, uh, don't build snowflakes. Like they tend yeah, to I melt. Like that. That's cool. We all were at a network meltdown. So I guess uh, everyone figures out that um, building very individual things just takes much longer to get it resolved and not building snowflakes will make you sleep yeah, yeah, much that's quieter. Great. Um, where can people find you on the interwebs? Like if they want to keep the conversation going, they want to reach out to you, ask some VXLAN questions, where can they find you on the interwebs today? Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter. It's probably the easiest one to figure it out. I, I use my uh, very proud CCIE there as a, as a handle. So it's CCIE21921. Um, that's probably the easiest one you can find me or on, on LinkedIn, uh, Lucas Kratiger, you can find me there. Well, I will have all that in the show notes. So make it real easy. You don't have to memorize Lucas's CCIE number unless you already did, which is cool. <laughs> so, uh, but you can just... It's, it's a, a super, super simple, simple number, number, right? 21921. Yeah. I mean, you know, you and I memorize our CCI numbers. I don't know if other people do. I don't know if they remember ours. Well, I had to read it right now. <laughs> so, <that's>, <laughs> the <laughs> truth comes out. Lucas, Lucas, I Here appreciate it, buddy. It's been great. Um, thank you so much for doing this with me. I hope you have a great day. And hopefully I get you back on here soon. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks a lot for having me. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Day. Hey friends, nerds, geeks, and ziglets. That's going to close out today's episode of the ZigBits Network Design Podcast, where we talked about the ins and the outs of VXLAN. Today's show notes will be at zigbits.tech slash 91. I have opened up the doors to my network design course, and it's called Designing Network Architectures and Ensuring Business Success. Hey, if you're interested to hear more about my course or you're ready to enroll right now, go to zigbits.tech slash DNA. If you want to have live network design conversations right now, join the Zigbits Discord community. You are missing out if you're not in there. There are a ton of highly skilled experts, not just design experts. I'm talking experts in a whole bunch of other things, and they're ready. They're there to help you with all of your network design questions. Simply go to zigbits.tech slash discord to join. And once again, just to be clear, it's a 100% free community. Of course, donations are always welcome, but they're never required. If you like today's episode, let, let us know. You can find more Zigbits network engineering, network design, and network architecture content, including technical podcasts like this one, monthly webinars, YouTube videos, and a dedicated community on Discord. All of this content I just mentioned is free content. Hey, find all of this and much more at zigbits.tech. Follow us on Twitter at zigbits and find us on LinkedIn. One last thing, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter, the Network Design Digest, filled with the best, and I mean the best network design content in network engineering today. It's at zigbits.tech newsletter. As always, I appreciate you and I thank you for listening. Don't forget to attack your goals, attack the day, attack your life, and make progress, my friends. Until next time.
Bye for now.